Hello, you're listening to the DMBA podcast where we share business confidence for designers. My name is Alan. I am a business designer and founder of the DMBA. And today with me is Franz, program director at uh, also DMBA. Say hi and wave, Franz. Hi, everyone. <laughs> and so you're listening to another business design jam where we take maybe current business news, maybe something we currently find interesting in the business ecosystem. And uh, we try to see how it's relevant uh, for the business and design world. And today's topic is something I think is close to a lot of designers. Uh, I wouldn't say hard, but at least like a thinking process. So we're going to talk about uh, pollution, environment, and more specifically, the carbon offsets. So um, the reason we've been talking about this topic is because lately I've seen a lot of commercials and even on packaging uh, of the products, I've seen these claims that, hey, this product is, I think, I believe they call it net. Let me just check. Net zero. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Carbon footprint is net zero. And the way it's even communicated, it tells you like, okay, it doesn't say it's zero, it's net zero. So obviously I was intrigued. You know, my assumption is they still pollute, but they have to somehow offset it. So that's how they do it. But it was an interesting rabbit hole to go through this, uh, not just news, but also uh, like the whole industry that is building on top of these carbon offsets. Um, so have you, Franz, ever seen these commercials with the net footprint being net zero? Yeah, I have. And I bought a product, I will share it later. Um, but I have also bought um, offsets myself, right? You can click on offset the CO2 of this delivery or offset the CO2 of this flight. I've done this. And just, just to get a sense for it for the listeners, what, what's the usually like the price of these offsets? Like if I fly- think I, I offset my flight from... Milan to Berlin for two euros something. So mm. not something that you really think about when you're like, hey, I can make up for what I'm polluting with my yeah. travels and it's two euros. Yeah, you chip it in. You don't really think about it until us basically encountering so many um, products with being net zero or carbon neutral. Um, and then you start reading about it and then maybe reconsidering what you're doing there with uh, this click. Exactly. And two euros is such a low number that it just makes you think like, what's going on here? It feels like a little bit just of marketing and that it can't really be true. But is it? Let's see. So first, maybe let's just define what carbon offsets are, you know, just to lay the foundation for this conversation. So... Carbon offsets are basically some kind of, let's call it credits or a certain type of products or services that companies can buy to fictively basically decrease their carbon footprint. Um, so this company can still be increasing their pollution, but they can simply be offsetting this by buying credits from companies that offer these uh, carbon offset um products and that's actually completely fine you know like i think the idea is very noble and great if you can actually offset 
um, your pollution, why not do it, right? So it's no wonder that a lot of companies are jumping onto this uh, bandwagon. I think it's uh, not just from the marketing perspective, which is also very good, but also from the perspective of, you know, it's just the right thing to do. Um, but we'll get into the crooks of this whole story a little bit later because you will see that it's not as easy as we're maybe led to believe that it is. Um, so that's basically what a carbon offset is. So maybe just to check with in France, is there anything maybe I forgot to mention here? Um, I do think that it's we need a little bit more detail to understand that. Um, because in a way, like briefly defining it, it makes sense, right? You're buying a credit, um, you have a balance of CO2 that you're emitting and you're buying a credit and this credit means that somebody else lowered CO2 emission or or um, stored CO2 somewhere and you buy this credit and you pay them for doing this, which means that you can de deduct this number of pollution from your, uh, from your, let's say, balance sheet, um, emission mm -hmm. balance sheet. Um, but I think it does make sense to go a little bit into the two systems of that. So um, this yeah, yeah. compliance market, um, compliance carbon offset market and the voluntary offset market or also called free carbon offset market. Yeah, for sure. I'll go into both of these. Um, but maybe even before we go into this, maybe just to explain this definition even further, like um, what are these companies that are offering offsets? What are they even doing? I think that's also an interesting thing to, to talk about. I think we'll go deeper into this, but just for you to get a sense, these are projects like maybe avoiding deforestation, maybe reforestation, sometimes capturing carbon dioxide from the, from the atmosphere and so on. So basically any type of project that could, um, or that can basically offset or turn carbon dioxide into something more uh, healthy for the environment. Um, Okay, but now in terms of how this can work, as you said, Franz, there are two systems. One is more connected to compliance, which is like government intervention. So government stepping in and saying, hey, we need to find a way to reduce pollution. And another one is there are certain companies that just voluntary, voluntarily go into offsetting their carbon emission. So the first one is this, let's say, the government intervention. And let's maybe just spend a few minutes here. So what a lot of governments are doing these days, you know, they've signed these treaties, they're just trying to reduce the pollution. And they find certain industries that are polluting a lot, and they focus on those as the first stepping stone. So, and a really uh, famous system in, 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 in trying to do this for governments is called cap and trade. So basically they define how much emission certain industry can emit, and then they distribute they basically divide that number with all the factories or companies within this industry. And then each of them gets carbon credits. It, it may be that all of them get the same amount. It may be that also this varies. It really depends on the industry and the government and so on. But um, the thing is that each company gets their credits and then um, basically they need to emit less or exactly as, as, as defined in the, the cap. So the cap is how much you can emit. Um, but actually, you can also trade these, uh, let's call them credits. 
So if one factory is emitting more and another one is emitting less, the one emitting less can actually sell their credits to another companies. And this may sound familiar because you may have heard that Tesla is making more money with selling these credits than it actually from making from making cars. Um, and that's just one example and there's plenty of them. Um, so, and this is happening with many industries. So one automotive is just one of them. Um, but it really depends on just governments in different countries stepping up and actually doing it. Um, yeah. yeah, sorry. Did you want to add something to this? Uh, no, just wanted to, yeah, um, confirm. Like, I think that some countries even auction this. So basically, um, companies of an industry need to buy their credits, which is basically a right to pollute, um, a right to pollute a certain amount of CO2. Um, and then, as you said, trade it. So, or at least they need to, I mean, let's go to the, to the short term, right? Short term is as a country, you want to cap the amount of CO2 that is actually, um, that is actually emitted to the, to the atmosphere, meaning that, okay, you will let people buy, um, buy or give people these credits. And if they, um, get below, they can sell these credits. If they surplus this without having bought credits, then, uh, they need to, pay a fine or need to pay taxes on that right yeah mm. yeah there are penalties or carbon tax etc yeah i think one thing i forgot to mention is that the idea of the cap and trade is that each year or a certain time frame the government is reducing the cap you yeah. know if this year they can do one unit maybe next year they can do just 19 percent of this mm. and the big overall idea here is that these companies have an incentive to and time to basically transition to a more uh, green technology. Yeah, we're basically creating a ma market where um, supply of something is reduced step by step, right? So government lowers the number of permits each year. Um, this means that we have lower supply of the emissions that are allowed to make, which means that lower supply always means higher price. So if you do emit more this gets more and more expensive over time because you need to buy more of these credits for a higher price which means over time that companies have more incentive to reduce their emissions and it's more um there's just more return on investment when you actually invest in clean technology which is reducing your emissions rather than buying the permit to permit uh to um pollute basically so this is the whole um, idea behind that creating a market that has l lower and lower supply over time so it gets basically more expensive to pollute and in the end you have to say you have to admit this is a a good idea right it makes sense to to apply this system it logically works it logically works but in practice right now it doesn't work exactly for the reason that you brought up which is like when you emit more you know you have to pay these penalties and these penalties are still much lower than the actual benefit these companies get from actually polluting so at the moment it's not working um and like also part of this system and part of this problem is that in certain countries like you can try to avoid this carbon tax by moving your production elsewhere where you don't have these cap and trade and that these taxes if they have them also different governments yeah have different price of these so there's just too many loopholes 
for this to work at the moment. That's yeah. kind of the sad part of it. I completely agree. I mean, there there are these like the idea behind it absolutely makes sense, but there is like cracks everywhere, right? So caps being set too high in the first place. So this initial right to pollute, many scientists say this is already too high. Then, as you said, fines just being too low. So you're basically just better off paying fines than mm. to actually buy your credits or actually invest in um, in clean technology. Um, so that's definitely an incentive problem here. And also, I think monitoring is just still hard. I'm really, this is a thin ice here. We're not like um, scientists in this part, but uh, what I or read experts. is, it's, or experts, exactly. What I read is just that it's really, really hard to monitor and measure how much CO2 a company actually um, mm. blows into the air, right? This is not like, uh, there is no balance sheet in a sense that you have revenue report and the co2 report right yeah so yeah. that's just really hard to measure so while there are some cracks i think there are still many countries who go into this direction right european union trading system um so we do have industries in like energy production these oil steel works um, um aluminum production cement production paper production all of these high energy um industries and obviously also aviation who have these cap and trade systems and i think recently china introduced one and also the uh, the uk has an independent one as of the brexit so mm. we see many countries going into this direction um but bah, i mean it's early, right? I mean, early. It's not early. It's actually very late. Very late, yeah. <laughs> but, but early um, in, in the sense of introducing these systems. Correct. Even and though actually... Are, sorry, go uh, ahead. I think they are being like... Um, they are trying to make this better. Um, and I do... I honestly believe that the cap and trade system is, if, if done in uh, like thoughtfully, I think that does make sense, honestly. For sure, and we've seen it work. That's why it's even been introduced to CO2, to carbon dioxide, because in the 1990s, the cap and trade was tried for the first time in the US um, for the, I think, sulfur dioxide. So um, another very, very bad pollutant, which caused uh, things like acid rain. And the US was basically, in a few years, um, not completely eradicated, but just decrease uh, the pollution with the sulfur dioxide enough so that acid rate become much less of a problem. So, it's this system cap and trade has shown its uh, its success in a way. So maybe it just needs to be implemented differently. But mm. in, the business is like an incentive game. In the end of the day, like countries are also trying to compete against each other. So you don't want to hamper your industry too much. Like if you look from the perspective of Germany, like the whole country or a big part of the country is built on automotive companies. So why would now they go and then try to harm these companies that just do a lot of quote unquote well for the society? I mean, um, so you, you, you kind of also as a country need to balance these things. And that's yeah. why we are here where we are, because some, some countries are trying to go out of this system, you know, like we had us jumping out of the Paris agreement, um, and so on. So, um, 
So while this is like it looks bleak on the compliance side, hopefully it's gonna change soon. It does look more promising on the voluntary side, or does it? <laughs> so <laughs> voluntary is always good, right? Companies come in and they reduce their um, their emissions and they want to be um, carbon neutral. So that's awesome, right? Yeah, so we talked a little bit about it. So let's just maybe explain it a little bit more. So the voluntary system basically means that a company is not by any regulation uh, in, in a position that they need to offset the pollution that they're making. So think about companies like Apple, Amazon, and so on. Uh, so they don't have any like regulations at the moment yet, but they just engage in voluntary carbon offset. Um, reasons could be different. It could be pressure from, I don't know, customers, from the media, maybe employees, and so on. But actually the reasons don't even matter as much as we make progress, I would say. Um, the problem with this is that a lot of these projects that we mentioned before, so avoiding uh, deforestation, reforestation, capturing carbon dioxide, uh, there is plenty more uh, like mm. things in agriculture and so on. Um, uh, also investing in renewable energy. The problem is that when you buy these carbon, voluntary carbon offsets, what you're actually buying is a promise. It's a promise that this project you're investing in, because you're basically investing in a certain project, let's say it's reforestation of a certain area, you're buying into the promise of that company doing that reforestation that they will offset this much carbon in the future. So yeah. this can happen, but a lot of research has shown that actually these projects do not meet their criteria. And that's where even the voluntary system has a lot of these problems yeah. i think here we briefly need to go in the difference between this um compliance offset market and this voluntary offset market right so the compliance offset market just means that you get a cap let's say you are allowed you are allowed 100 credits of pollution i can't say better like you get 100 credits and you kind of need to hit this goal of 100 credits right and you can either hit it by not polluting more than these 100 credits, or you can reach it by buying credits from somebody else. So you have 120 credits, for example. Good. So that's the whole goal, right? You're meeting a government regulation, a cap. For this voluntary carbon offset market, the goal is a little bit different, right? So these companies, they want to reduce their carbon footprint. And this overall goal is like, we want to be net zero. We want to be um, carbon neutral by the year 2030 or by the year 2050. So what companies say is that they will reduce emissions as far as they can. And for the emissions they cannot avoid, they will offset it. And now we're back, right? So in this case, they buy carbon credits uh, by investing into something that is supposed to make up for the pollution that this company still make it. So they invest in projects that take carbon emissions out of the air. So they mm -hmm. invest in planting trees, they're investing in a wind park that takes off a coal plant from the power from the from the network, right? So mm -hmm. this is the whole thing. You're paying somebody um for taking carbon out of the air that you actually do pollute. So mm -hmm. And every one of these projects 
is directly con uh, connected to a specific quantity of greenhouse gas emissions. So at least on paper, right? So you're paying somebody else to reduce the emissions or take the CO2 out of the air while you're blowing it into the air. Exactly. <laughs> so that's where the claim of we're going to be net zero comes from. So these kind of these companies are looking at, okay, this is the CO2 our production and all of our operations, including distribution, creates that we're just going to buy enough of these carbon offsets from companies mm. doing offset projects that we will be neutral. That doesn't mean yeah. that they actually they don't pollute, uh, which is still very noble. I think at the end of the day, like it's it's the right way to think. Also, the right way to think is to reduce. But at the first stage, I think. You know, companies need some time to change their business models yeah. while being competitive, etc. So it is a noble idea. Mm. It's the implementation and that's tricky. It is even an idea that that does work again in logic. So before we actually go into the problems again, I do want to stress that this in general makes sense because um, carbon emission is a, and climate change or climate crisis is a global problem. So it doesn't matter who reduces emissions. It just matters that emissions are reduced globally. And trading just makes sense here, right? Because some countries or industries have just a much harder job to reduce emissions than others. So let's say you could have a steel plant that's heavily emitting CO2 and is very capital intensive and it's really hard to make that green in the short term. So obviously it makes sense for this company to pay for a forest to be planted to offset some of the CO2 this company um, produces in the short term, right? I'm not talking steel plants should just go on and on and on. I'm just saying for the short term, this does make sense until um, the steel plant can also be greener. Or other example, like a country that already has most of its um, energy coming from renewable resources, they can they could or do actually with this system pay another country which is still relying heavily on energy from coal uh, coal example uh, for example that they build a wind park and shut shut down a coal plant so this country that already has like already that is already further in their development in with regards to uh, renewable resources they might, would have a much harder time and it would be much more expensive for them to save something whereas in another part of the world, it would be much cheaper to save it. And if that works, that's awesome. And it absolutely makes sense. But it doesn't work. <laughs> because, I mean, now we're getting to this, yeah, maybe also a little bit rent part, right? So this is why um, this whole system that you can buy credits and um, and you this credit actually gets deducted from your balance of emission leads to being carbon neutral and net zero even if you're still polluting and this leads to this weird situation that huge companies which are obviously polluting heavily are net zero ironically shell has mm. the claim to be net zero in carbon uh, in cot uh, emission by 2050 and this is where the whole thing is really, really hard. And that's why I bought an engine oil from Castrol that has the claim carbon neutral on the box. Like, you know what's I'm wondering? Like, 
how did Shell calculate their carbon footprint? Was it, um, this is how much we are polluting while extracting oil, which is their business, or this is how much we are polluting while extracting oil and then oil being used in engines. No, this that's on you. you. Because yeah, you are right. driving. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not sure, but this is, <laughs> it's something I would call double dip. So, I mean, <laughs> they would have to pay for both in a way, but... I mean, yeah, I also get the claim that, no, we just pay our part for uh, extracting the oil, but then if you are driving a car, you should pay for your part. But it's still like, it's a, yeah, it's a funny story. It's actually, this is almost like when you look more closely, it's almost gets devastating because it's like, it seems to be something that is so easy to do. So when you think of this whole thing now is that um, there's just so much cracks when you when you look at this uh, closely, right? So I don't know, you already mentioned this um, this principle of additionality, did you? Externality so, or? No, no, additionality. Okay, you didn't mention it. No, apparently. no, no, no. So offset is be this offsetting is based on additionality. So this project, so there is someone who, there is a project developer, right? This project developer sets up an offset project. Then you have a standard body and this standard body basically signs it off, says, okay, yes, that works. It has so much carbon credits and it's, um, and yes, you can sell this as a uh, project. Then you have brokers and these brokers, they trade these credits. And then you have the buyers who buy the credits, like companies who want to be net zero. Thing is that all of this offset only works if this is additional effort. And this is this principle of additionality, right? So you need to do something, this project needs to do something that wouldn't have been done otherwise. So you would have to build a wind park that wouldn't have been built otherwise. You would have to plant a tree that wouldn't have been planted otherwise. You would have to save a forest that otherwise would have been cut down. And this is where you need to like... I don't know, like watch into people's brains, right? So would yeah. this forest have been cut down or is this just making money for somebody who says, I would have cut this forest down um, if you don't pay me for it? You know what I've even heard about? Like it's a story where a company paid the carbon offset to another company to uh, plant trees, mm -hmm. which they did. They planted trees. But then a few years later, like a year or two years later, those trees were cut down again. So, <laughs> yeah, we did plant them, but then we didn't follow through by keeping them planted. So it's also this, like, even if you do something additional, you need to sustain it for long enough to have benefits. Yeah. So this, I mean, there was a recently a piece from um, last week tonight, John Oliver, where they found that somebody said they would save this forest from being cut down and sold this as a carbon offset project. And this was basically a forest of a billionaire's hunting club who was obviously not going to cut down these trees because that's a hunting club. What are you going to do with a hunting club without trees? So we're, so this is yes. just, I'm, so I think obviously we cannot generalize everything, but I'm just saying that this principle of additionality is just really, really hard to, to measure because 
are you now really with your investment making a wind park happen or are you more like investing in a wind park that would have been built in any case mm -hmm. right so this offset can only work if it's pure additionality right you are paying something for something that would have not happened at all and this takes exactly the same amount of co2 out of the energy or saves this then you pollute and this logic is nice but how <laughs> it's very hard to prove yeah and and what did you sorry uh go ahead no, go on. <laughs> i wanted to ask you if you find anything found anything interesting about the size of this industry of the carbon offset uh industry i actually did um and that's another factor that's super interesting right um so if we talk about i don't know one out of five companies that want to be carbon neutral by this and that that date if we look at all of these claims of where i can offset my flight where i can buy carbon neutral project you would Im uh, you would assume that this is a huge market right but this market yeah. is Like, I'm not talking about a voluntary carbon offset market. 2021 was 1 billion. That may, like, for, that may sound now high, but actually this is tiny. Because when you compare this, yeah. so you know that I talked about this engine oil? That was from Castrol, and Castrol mm -hmm. is part of BP. And BP has a revenue of 164 billion dollars. That's British petrol, right? Yes. So the, just the, the offset market point. is the offset market is one billion, whereas like one single company that is one of the biggest polluters of the world has 146 times more revenue, and that's only one company. So alone this is like weird. Like, how can I buy a carbon neutral product while this market is so small? I would have assumed this is huge because Obviously, it costs money to do all these projects to set off, um, uh, to offset um, emissions. But apparently, it's not big when you compare it. That's really surprising, yeah. Because even Apple has like 300 plus billion in revenue. So just to put it in perspective, one billion in the streets, it's, it's tiny, you know. Yeah. It, it's really tiny. Um, but I'm guessing it's growing very fast. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, with all these claims of companies wanting to be net uh, zero by 2030, 2050, um, McKinsey says that this is going to be a $50 billion market in 2023, uh, 2030. Others okay. say that even goes to like 120 billion by the half of the century, like 2050. So obviously it's growing, but as we can see now, it's really growing weirdly with projects that can't really deliver um i mean we have already talked about this this project right so uh, these problems first one was this additionality is really hard to to measure then these offsets we have also talked about this these uh, this are weirdly cheap so there is really little incentive to reduce your emission you can rather just offset it right it's much easier it's much cheaper um then these projects often don't deliver like forests 
you can build a forest, you can plant the forest with your best intention, but if it, with current droughts, burns down after five years, it's still offset, right? They, this company mm. still got their benefits and it was still net zero. And in the end, even if this all would work, it would still not solve the problem because the most, the current, the, the projects that are mostly done at the moment is planting trees. And there is simply not enough space to plant the trees that enough we trees. need to offset um, everything that we blow into the air, right? So even if everything would yeah. work, that's still not a solution. So at the moment, this offsetting program, especially this voluntary offsetting pro um, programs, they're actually worse than if we didn't have it because um, if you... If you can't pollute and the offset is cheap or even complete nonsense, then we just basically um, increase pollution and make it worse. And yeah, because lie to ourselves and to, exactly and lie to ourselves yeah. and to consumers that we are net neutral and we can fly by just chipping into euros. Yeah, it's it's another case of how do we measure this better, right? So as we had the problem with the government. Mm -hmm. Uh, imposed regulation with the cap and trade system. How do we measure pollution? Here we have the the problem with how do we measure um, the the success of these projects. And maybe to to close this section on a more positive note, like there is some research out there, like which what type of these carbon offset projects apparently have the biggest impact, and what is consistently coming on top is just renewable energy. So basically trying to invest into renewable energy projects um yeah as you said forestation so planting trees is kind of towards the bottom of this list mm. so yeah building just a different type of mm, energy future for tomorrow so hopefully like in my mind hopefully this is just the start or a clumsy start into something promising something that could if we have credible and good players good companies in this space can took off can take off in a good way and we just get you know uh yeah we can with the current business models of these companies finance the future which would be which should be kind of the way to do it plus impose some stricter rules on them to to cut it faster and it's a growing market so if anybody is interested in founding something I think yeah. there is a potential there um, for doing better than how it's currently done. When I was reading this, I got a feeling that this is a much better company at this stage to, to start in a Web3 or crypto. Uh, <laughs> yeah. As ridiculous as it sounds, like these companies, so companies trying to offset their carbon footprint, they are just like, there's not enough projects for them to, to offset their um their their pollution so if you are in this like an engineer or have an idea for something like this this is now the time to try out uh and build something here because there is plenty of money that's pouring into this industry yeah and credibility is like the thing here because we were ranting for i don't know 15 minutes about how hard it is to have additionality and how hard it is to measure um, pollution or savings. So um, that's definitely something that 
uh, is a huge opportunity if we could solve this yeah measuring and really consistently and in high quality measuring pollution and also having this as a credible source mm. and since this is educational program france now we're going <laughs> to take two interesting business uh models not models but business concepts out of this conversation to kind of break them down and see how they're also relevant for the work of designers so one of them is uh, incentives and the other one is externalities and maybe i'll just quickly jump into something called negative externalities so this is like business 101 or economics 101 it's one of the things you learn in a business school very fast very early which is like your actions or actions of your company could have negative consequences on people um, that are not even involved in your company. I don't know, like a factory, you know, polluting, they're not paying for their pollution. So basically everyone is paying for their wrongdoing in a way. So a factory is benefiting, but everybody is paying these negative externalities. Funnily enough, there's also positive externalities. Like, for example, I don't know if your neighbor has a um, uh, insurance against fire, and then maybe fire is pops up in your. Maybe that's maybe that's more like a U.S. example where actually some some individuals have these uh, insurance where if there is a fire in your house, firemen actually show up, which means that a fire would not then you know, carry forward to your house. That's an example of positive externality where somebody else's actions have, you know, helped you. But a negative externality is the opposite. And that's what we've been just describing. You know, there's pollution is kind of the prime example economists and business people use to talk about the negative externalities. But they're also all around us in different extents of our business. So when designing products, I think this is one of those really interesting questions like, is this harming anyone? Is this harming anyone that's not even involved in making a decision of building this or buying this? And as designers, I think we are in a good position to think this through and maybe to bring these questions up like, hey, how can we maybe avoid this externality for for these uh, for these people and these stakeholders? Yep, that makes sense. And... That was very close to today's topic, right? Negative externalities is we are paying for other companies' pollution. And this is not yeah. part of the price that we are paying at the gas station or at the uh, power plant, for example. We are not paying none for the us. damage this does. Exactly, none of us. Neither people driving cars and nor the people getting rich with it selling gas yep. and oil. Cool. Second one. Incentives, mm. um, or rather misaligned incentives, yeah. is what leads to um, yeah an inferior outcome. So as soon as there is a situation that um, there is somebody in a system who works in a direction that is not favorable for um, maybe the one who gave them um, this job or other people in the system, this means that there could be a misaligned incentive because when you look at it from their perspective, it actually totally makes sense to do it. So from the outside, from the outside, this might seem like wrongdoing, but when you look at it more closely, you see that there is actually rules in place that 
makes it just logical for this person to um, or for this um, body to act in this way. And what we can learn from this, what we just talked today is that, let's say standardizing bodies, they have a little bit of a misaligned incentive because what they are asked to do is having these or finding these projects and signing off these projects so that we can all have or we can have these offset projects so we can reach net zero, right? We're all talking about net zero and net zero is reached by making this deal. But net zero is not reached by looking back after five years and seeing has this actually worked. So this means that such a company is more focused on making a specific deal um, and not so much on does this really um, does this really work on the long run? Um, yeah, so this also leads to projects that may not deliver. You may have already seen that this doesn't deliver, but it doesn't matter because the only thing that that matters is that you can put a tag on it right now and set off a specific amount of carbon. And that is pretty much comparable to an agency. Let's talk about design again, about that's pretty much comparable to an agency that focusing focuses on selling projects only, but then drops the ball when delivering, right? And that usually solves itself because a company will have bad word of mouth or they will not um, have follow-up projects and the business will decline itself. Meaning that here there is an incentive to actually also deliver and not only um, sell. But if there is no incentive on delivering, then you will only sell, right? And again, we could have, now make it practical again, we could have this problem if in an agency, sales stuff and project stuff are completely separated. Because in this case, mm -hmm. sales stuff will sell something that is not really um, deliverable And then we have these misaligned incentives again, right? Not you, a common situation at all. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> so yeah, that's incentives or misaligned incentives. And that's something that's usually pretty much logical thinking, right? Um, thinking about how do you reward something, somebody? Um, so that's bonus systems. That's um, how do people get promoted? That's um, how do we actually sell something? And when we understand these mechanisms, we can also understand the other side of where would this lead us um, if we over um, optimize for that. So um, in, the in the worst case, this leads to misaligned incentives, which is um, basically leading us to an inferior outcome, even though everybody is working very logically in the goals direction. In their best interest. Yeah, so I think what, what we as designers can take away from this is going into projects and designing things. What can also be designed is incentives, like thinking about who is involved, what their goals are, and not just like users and not just the company, but also suppliers and also like everyone who is affected. That's why we talk about stakeholders over stockholders because even neighbors of this factory could be affected even I don't know, a person selling it in the shop is a stakeholder that's affected by it. So all of these are really also interesting design challenges. Uh, it's hard to get buy-in for those to, 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 to get to work on it. But if we explain the business sense behind it, I think 
it can be done. So it's another interesting, like how might we, you know, align incentives that we can use on projects. Nice cool. one. Do you have anything else? Should we wrap it up? Watch out for um, carbon offset projects. Try to learn about them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And if you find, if you have like a favorite one that you really enjoy investing in, maybe just drop it in the comments. So on YouTube under this video for us to know, like, and to have a look at it also, it would be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, but if you enjoy this episode, you may also enjoy uh, the DMBA program. Actually right now we have open applications for the upcoming program which is beginning with October 10th. And both me and Franz will be mentoring a couple of cohorts, each one cohort. And um, yeah, you may get mentoring directly from us. Um, so applications are open right now and you can find it on apply. If you're interested, we recommend just filling it out because there's still like an application call where you can learn more stuff and we can see if we're a good fit for each other. So again, to apply, head over to apply. Thanks, everyone. That was a very nice chat, Franz. And I guess we see each other very soon with another episode. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye.